All right, good morning, church family. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. We're taking a little bit of a turn by going from 1 Corinthians to starting our Advent series. And Advent means coming. And we are being reminded during this season that Jesus has come and that he is with us here by his spirit even this morning. And I think that's important that we remember that specifically at this time of the year. And that's because I think that the holidays have a way of putting a spotlight both on the good things and the blessings of our life, but also on our pain. And I was reminded of that this last week as I was standing next to a hockey rink, as I'm often doing this time of year, watching one of my boys practice, and I was asking one of the other hockey parents a mom, how her Thanksgiving was. And she started to share with me, to be honest, my Thanksgiving was really hard. Last year, Thanksgiving was good, even though it was shortly after I lost my husband, who died of a heart attack at night at age 40. But this year, for some reason, it was incredibly difficult and painful. And I was reminded as I was talking to her that for many of us, we look forward to the holidays as a time of joy and thanksgiving, but for many of us, it is a time of pain. And I think that the message of Christmas is for all of us, but it is especially important for us who are in pain. And so I think the reminder of this text is that God is with us in the mess. And we're going to look at three implications of believing this reality through the story of the angel's encounter with Mary. The first implication is this belief that I am favored. If God is with us, I am favored. Look with me again at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 30. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. So the first surprising thing we see in the text is that this angel shows up to a place called Nazareth. Nazareth was a hick town. I looked up the worst town in Minnesota on Google, and it informed me, don't take offense at this if you're from here, that the worst town in Minnesota is Redby, Minnesota, okay? So this is like an angel showing up to Redby, Minnesota. This is very unexpected that an angel would be there. So it makes sense that Mary is surprised to see a servant of the Lord there. I think the second reason she's surprised is she is poor. She's second class by nature of being A woman in that society. And the angel gives her this greeting. Oh, 
favored one, the Lord is with you. And it says in the text that Mary is greatly troubled at the saying. And I think looking back at the text, something that I realized is maybe chronologically I had gotten things messed up in my mind. And I thought that this saying that the Lord gave to Mary was after he had told her that she would conceive as a virgin. But notice that textually, this happens first. So the thing that Mary is troubled by is not that the angel is saying, as we know will happen, that as a virgin she's going to conceive and have a baby. She is troubled that the angel is calling her a favored one. Now, why would you be troubled by that? How could she possibly be troubled by good news? You're favored by God. This is amazing. Shouldn't she have just thrown her hands up and be like, finally, somebody recognized my greatness. But instead, she's troubled. Why is she troubled? I think she's troubled because she has an accurate assessment of herself. She looks at her own spiritual life, and although she goes to synagogue, although she's faithful to her prayers, although she's sexually pure, she recognizes in herself the abiding reality of sin. And her outward circumstances, living in a small town, being a second-class citizen, reinforce for her the spiritual reality of her life. I think one of her core convictions is, I do not deserve the favor of God. So the angel shows up to her, and she is greatly troubled. And she tries to reason in her mind why. And I think that the only reasons that she can think of in that moment why an angel would be coming to Nazareth to talk to her is that she must have done something wrong. This is like a principal's office moment. Those of you who got called to the principal's office like me in elementary school know exactly what I'm talking about. And she's wondering, what did I do that was so wrong that I've finally been busted for? So she's trying to figure that out. And the angel says to her, once again, do not be afraid. Don't fear punishment. You have found favor with God. Now, people have been asking for centuries, what was it about Mary that drew on the favor of God? And I think there's two competing answers for why she was favored. And the first one is found in a very popular saying used in the Catholic Church called the Hail Mary. It's actually taken from this text. Some of you who grew up Catholic, and even those of us who didn't, will be familiar with this saying. It's going to be on the screens. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother God, pray for us sinners, 
now and at the hour of our death. Now here's one competing view. This view says that the reason that Mary was favored is because she was full of grace. And this Catholic doctrine of the sinlessness of Mary is taken from this passage. And so, in the Hail Mary, Catholics ask that Mary would pray for them as sinners. So the assumption here is Mary is favored because she's amazing. But here is what I believe to be the biblical view of why Mary is favored. It's found just a short time later in the Gospel of Luke. Starting in verse 46, Mary tells us why she believes that she is favored. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Notice Mary does not claim to be a sinless co-savior with Jesus. Instead, she says that her soul magnifies the Lord because he alone is her savior. She says that she is favored not because she is amazing, but because God is amazing and he is merciful. If you have grown up with a theology that says God is attracted to you because of something about you, you have believed a lie. God's favor is only and always for the undeserving. And not just undeserving, God's favor is only and always for the ill-deserving. We believe that what attracted God to Mary, paradoxically, is not that she was full of grace, but that she was full of sin. And so the good news that I have for you this morning is that God's favor is for you. You do not have to perform for God this Christmas. You do not have to go through religious motions. You do not have to repeat rote prayers. You do not have to do anything to garner his favor. Because his favor always comes in this way. It always comes to unexpected places by surprise on his initiative. And so the only thing we do is open up our hands of faith and say, why not me? Why not me? So the first thing we believe is that I am favored. The second thing that we believe as a result of God being with us in the mess, is that nothing is impossible. Look at verses 31 through 37. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also has conceived a son, and this in the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So in the last section, we saw the declaration from the angel that Mary was favored. And in this section, we see the evidence that she is favored. The evidence that Mary was favored by God is this miracle that was happening inside of her. That as a virgin, she would conceive and give birth to a son. And that son would be her son and would be the son of God. He would be fully God and fully man. And the earth would worship him. And Mary asks a really important question. How will this be since I am a virgin? That's a great question, right? Which indicates, some people think, like the only reason that Mary believed this is because people were gullible and didn't understand where babies come from. Girl understands where babies come from. It's why she asked the angel this question. And the angel's answer is that the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Okay, here's the picture. Mary is asking this question, how can this possibly happen? And what's going on in her mind is she's thinking, this is impossible. I don't know about you, but when I think about the word overshadow, I think about something big making something that formerly looked big look small. So I thought of kind of a classic scene that we can all imagine in our minds as kids. It's like the playground scene where you've got the bully standing in front of you. And the bully's like, I'm going to kick your butt. And you're like, I know you are. I'm toast. I'm done. You're, you're scared. And you're like, this situation is impossible for me. And then all of a sudden, your dad shows up on the playground. And you see their shadow behind you. And so your shadow's really little, and their shadow comes up and just swallows up your shadow. And all of a sudden, the bully who once looked big begins to look really, really small. And so Mary is coming to the angel, and she's saying, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And he's saying, all of your problems will go away because God is going to do the impossible for you. What for you 
as you go into this Christmas season feels like something impossible that you have to face. Maybe for you, even as I was sharing that opening story, there is a poignant loss in your life. And you're looking forward at the next month, month and a half, and all the different gatherings that you're going to go to, and you're like, I don't think that I can pretend like I've got the Christmas spirit. I don't think I can pretend like I'm happy. I don't know if I can get through this season of life. Or maybe there is a family conflict, and you're like, I do not want to go to Uncle Ed's house. Like, bro, that guy drives me absolutely insane. And we had conflict last year, and I don't really want to go there again. Or it's conflict with a sister or a mom or a dad. Or it's just being in the house with your own immediate family that feels overwhelming to you. What is it for you? What are you afraid of the spotlight that the holidays bring revealing in your own heart and life? I think all of us need to hear that if God can cause a virgin to conceive and bear the Savior of the world, he can take care of your problem. We need to hear nothing is impossible for God. That works with any problem that we can have. You cannot argue with nothing. Nothing means nothing. And so maybe right now, even in your Bible or in a note, you need to write whatever it is for you that you are not looking forward to is included in nothing, and it is possible for God to overshadow that and to carry you through this next season. Okay, so we believe, I am favored, nothing is impossible, and finally, maybe the hardest one to swallow, I am a servant. This is amazing. Look at Mary's response to the angel telling her these things. Luke 1.38, just one verse. She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So what's remarkable is that Mary readily agreed to this arrangement. And I say it's remarkable because her getting pregnant as a 16-year-old unmarried girl in that culture would have been awful. Okay, this is an incredibly traditional culture. She would have faced physical punishment, abandonment from Joseph, disgrace and misunderstanding from her family and community. So you've got a picture. This is like a Muslim culture would be in the Middle East today. Incredibly traditional. And it was very possible that, that on the announcement that she was pregnant, that the small community that she lived in, the small town, would have brought her out into the town square and stoned her to death. And so for her to say, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word, was a result not of her understanding or even accepting 
what God was saying, but it was trusting his heart. She believed, even though her eyes couldn't see and she couldn't understand why he would do it this way. And the reason that she responded that way is the same reason that she responded to the angel when he called her favored. She responded that way because she was humble. She had taken her hands off of her own life. And she had said, my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I will glorify God in my body. So she saw herself as a servant, not the master of her own life. And so she did something unthinkable in our individualized culture. She submitted to someone else. And she believed that that was a good thing. I was reminded of, of this as I, I've been reading a book called Shadow of the Almighty, and it's the story of a missionary named Jim Elliott, written by his wife, Elizabeth Elliott. She died a few years back, but um, their story basically goes that they went to Ecuador and were missionaries. And Jim Elliott went to share Christ one day with a group of Indians, and they speared him and five of his friends and fellow missionaries to death. And I was watching a talk after having read this book because I wanted to get filled in a little bit more on the story from Elizabeth Elliot years later. And she was describing after her husband had been speared to death, they were living in a hut in the middle of a village ministering to Indians. And they were doing this work together and they also had a 10-month-old daughter. She found out her husband had been speared to death. She never went home. She went straight back to the hut and kept doing the work the missionary work. And she said she was getting letters, as you can imagine, from her in-laws and from her own parents, basically saying, you're not dealing with the grief. Why are you doing this? This seems insane. And she basically said, I had decided that I was going to be a missionary before I married Jim Elliott, so it was unthinkable for me to give up the work at that time. And she said, that the key for her to keep going was just to think, I've just got to take the next step. I've just got to take the next step. I'm trusting that God is good, that he's brought me here, and so I'm just going to take the next step. She couldn't have possibly faced the next 50 years without her husband, but what she was saying is, I can do the next right thing. I think that's the same attitude that Mary had, and I think that that's the same attitude that all of us ought to have in this next season. What is the next right thing that God is asking you to do? What if, even in our grief, and even in our conflict, if we opened up our hands to God and we said, I'm your servant, let my life be dictated not by my feelings, but according to your word. How empowering would it be 
is if even though we are carrying around grief and fear, if we listen to God instead of listening to our fears. Wouldn't we feel empowered? Wouldn't we feel like we're maintaining our spiritual equilibrium and we're having some kind of victory going into this next season? God is not calling us to do it all at one time, but one step at a time. Where would we get this kind of courage? Here's something that we know that Mary did not know. We know the depth to which God entered our mess. Just a few chapters later in Luke, chapter 22, we find Jesus, not in a manger, but in the Garden of Gethsemane. And God is asking him to face an impossible situation. He's asking him to go to the cross. And Jesus knows what that means. He's not fearing at that point just the physical pain, but he's fearing that God, for the first time in all eternity, is going to withdraw his presence, and not just withdraw his presence, but actively pour out his wrath for all the sins of the world on him. And this is Jesus' response to God. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus took on our grief. He took on our sin. He took on our sorrow on the cross. And he did this to show us that nothing is impossible with God. We have a Savior who has so fully entered the mess and so fully understands us, and he is here to empower us to take the next step. So let's go into this Christmas season with courage, with faith, and not with fear and anxiety because God is with us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have so fully entered our mess, that you understand our pain and our sorrow and our suffering, that you see to the very depths of our heart and you still give us your favor. Thank you that your favor is not based on our merit or us being full of grace, but it is a result of you being full of grace. Would we be the type of people who bring our emptiness to you so that you can fill us with your fullness? And I pray specifically for that person who, who it wasn't hard for them to think this morning of the impossible situation that they find themselves in, the grief that they're bearing. God, would you meet them not just right now in this moment, but uh, throughout this holiday season, would you carry them through it by your power? Pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen.